Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. I got E. coli on my honeymoon. So after the wedding, uh, my wife Lucy and I went down to Cancun in Mexico, and we were set to have this, it was supposed to be this amazing vacation. So it's at this cool beach resort. Um, I was supposed to be playing volleyball all day and eating food at these crazy cool restaurants. It's an all-inclusive resort, and I was so excited, but instead... The Lord saw fit to acquaint me very well with the bathroom floor in room 103E. (laughs) Have any of you ever been to Cancun or Mexico just on a vacation? Not like a mission trip, like a vacation. Yeah, I've heard it's great. (laughs) Yeah, I hear it's really awesome. I wouldn't know. I can tell you this, though. Their flight back, the TVs, you know, the back of the TVs uh, on the seats, they have TVs and stuff, you can watch movies. Uh, They were all broken. Um, so it was a six-hour flight, and I just sit right here to show you what I was doing. For six hours, I did this. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Trying not to vomit. So uh, it was miserable. And then when I got back, uh, Lucy got sick. Um, so it was, it was horrible. It was miserable. It was a terrible experience. And we can all, at some point, to some extent, identify with what being miserable is. It's kind of intrinsic to human life, Maybe it's from sickness that you've felt this misery. Maybe it's from some kind of relationship. Uh, maybe it's from your workload at school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it doesn't really matter what it is. But the thing is, there are countless Bible characters who can really identify with being miserable. And there's one person in particular who everybody always goes to. I feel really bad for him. His name's Peter. Uh, he was miserable like 90% of his story in Scripture. And 100% of his misery was pretty much his own fault. So, yeah, Peter's an idiot. When we look at Peter, I want to focus mostly not just on his misery, but on his suffering. There, There are a lot of examples of the sufferings of Peter, and I think that his fellow disciple John sums it up best. So this comes in the upper room. The night before Jesus crucified, Peter says this to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Because Jesus says, you won't follow me. I'll lay down my life for you, Peter said. But Jesus replied really harshly, and he said, oh yeah? Well, before the rooster crows, you are going to deny me today three different times. Now, it's speculation, of course, but I don't think that it's irresponsible for us to assume what is going on in Peter's mind. I think that he's thinking this, Jesus, Jesus doesn't really know what he's talking about. He has no idea. He doesn't know how deep my faith goes. But talk is cheap, and actions matter. And Peter slicing off a Roman guard's ear in Gethsemane is not the thing that impresses Jesus. I guess to Jesus, some actions are cheaper than talk. But as Jesus is led away, Peter follows him at a distance. After Uh, After he was allowed admission into the court of the high priest to listen on Jesus' trial, he found himself shivering from the frigid springish winter air. And it's the middle of the night. He found the heat that he wanted, though, around this nice charcoal fire right in the middle of the courtyard. 
And it was in the midst of the gatekeepers, the slaves, and the soldiers. But he also found some unwelcomed questions around that same fire. Wait a minute. You're not one of those Galileans' disciples, are you? Asked the slave girl. I am. Not, said Peter. And he was comforted by the charcoal fire as he listened to his teacher's mock trial. Then the hostile crowd pushed him again, saying, No, I'm pretty certain that I've seen you with him. Aren't you one of his disciples? To which Peter responded, I am. Not. And he was comforted again by this warm charcoal fire as he listened to his teacher's mock trial. Finally, remember when, remember when Peter cut off that Roman guy's ear in Gethsemane? Yeah, his cousin was in the courtyard. That's bad luck. And he said to Peter, I would know. I'm pretty sure I know you. You were in the garden with him, weren't you? Aren't you one of his disciples? Then Peter finished and he said, I swear to God that I am. Not. And this last time, Peter wasn't quite as comforted by this charcoal fire because he heard a rooster crow and then he made direct eye contact with his soon-to-be slaughtered teacher. So Peter bolted out of the courtyard, fell to the ground, and wept bitterly. Oh, the pain of self-inflicted suffering. Oh, the pain of revisiting your old self's addictions. Oh, the pain of abandoning your Messiah for pleasure, appetite, popularity. Oh, the pain of self-inflicted suffering. Unmatched is the suffering of the I am nots. Unmatched is your pain when your temptations arise, and for even a short amount of time, you say, I am not to indulge in sin. Inevitably, as you and I are all too aware, it leads to us being overly acquainted with our tile floors and bitter weeping. But we know that suffering is not always self-inflicted. Sometimes it's forced on us. So where was Christ's bitter weeping in the midst of his suffering? Where were his tears of shame and his tears of bitterness when he was hung on the cross? Perhaps different outcomes await different types of suffering. While Peter's suffering led to his bitter weeping, Christ's suffering led to glory and joy. How can this be? Does not all suffering lead to the same place? Let's leave the courtyard that Peter denies Jesus in and zoom in to his actual trial for a second, to Jesus' trial. The council, uh, trying Jesus, they're hurling questions at him all night. They bring this false witness, they bring, I mean, countless false witnesses against him to the point that they even start contradicting each other. But one witness stands up and he claims, not technically wrong, that Jesus wanted to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Then Caiaphas, who's the high priest at this time, he looks at Jesus and he says, well, what do you have to say for yourself? Do you really think that you're the son of God? To which Jesus replied, I am. Blasphemy, they cried out. As they tore their robes, down swings the gavel of justice. The verdict, guilty of blasphemy in the sentence, death by torture. 
While Jesus was led to the gallows, Peter, somewhere in the distance, was weeping away his shame. And as the condemnation of the Jews finally took Jesus' life, his suffering came to an end. Peter's suffering, however, looked as if it were just beginning. As Jesus hung on the cross in the cold, there was no charcoal fire to warm him. He was utterly alone, but his suffering would end soon. Jesus' suffering led to this glad rejoicing in his heart because because although it's miserable, as all suffering is, even though Christ was obviously much worse, it was rooted in righteousness rather than cowardice. As we all know, though, Jesus' suffering, it was only for a time. He rose three days later. It's as if his suffering was a shadow of the past that is now outshined by the light of glory. Peter's suffering, however, was still in full swing. The shame and the self-inflicted suffering had not gone away. Of course, Jesus knew about Peter's suffering because, excuse me, before he ascended into heaven, Jesus made it a point to have one final conversation with his suffering betrayer. In all of the resurrection appearances, this is so interesting, although Peter was likely there with the disciples, they don't have a direct interaction until the end. He hadn't gotten a chance to talk to Jesus directly. So Peter is still feeling like super, super hurt, I'm sure. It's, it's all right to assume that Peter is still feeling a ton of pain from that charcoal fire. You see, while Peter is out fishing with all of his disciples one day, he sees the resurrected Jesus and he's standing on the shore Peter threw his clothes on, and literally, I mean, the Greek word is he literally chucked himself into the water. Like, he throws himself into the water, and he swims as fast as he can right to Jesus. And I can only imagine the thoughts that are going through Peter's head right now. Like, what am I going to say? What is he going to say? <laughs> I am nervous. No matter what he was thinking, eventually he made it to the shore, And he saw Jesus standing there, having made a special charcoal fire just for Peter. As they start around this fire, Jesus looks at Peter and he asks him those famous questions, do you love me? And for our purposes, let me change, let me tweak the question just a little bit to this. Are you someone who loves me? So Jesus asks Peter, are you someone who loves me? Peter, feeling the heat from the fire, says, I am, period. Then Jesus asks again, Peter, are you really someone who loves me? I am. The heat of the fire continuing to radiate. Maybe it's on the third time that Jesus asked, are you someone who loves me, that Peter thought, man, this really feels like that courtyard. This charcoal fire is actually making me extremely uncomfortable this time. But he didn't say that. Peter responded, I swear to God, I am. It's here that Peter began to realize that the comfort of a charcoal fire pales in comparison to the comforts of grace. Isn't the irony so sweet, though, that Peter was redeemed in the same place 
that he failed Jesus at a charcoal fire. And isn't it sweet that in our place of self-inflicted suffering is where Christ longs to forgive us. That, that Christ stands at our charcoal fires, beckoning us into the future with him, that in that place of your well-deserved, well-deserved suffering, Jesus is actually prepared with the charcoal fire to meet you. Oh, the beauty of forgiveness. Oh, the comfort brought by redemption. Oh, the peace that grace brings. Unmatched is the rejoicing of a repenter. Unmatched is the gladness of someone forgiven of their sins. But hear me when I also say this. Unmatched should be the suffering of a Christian. After Peter's confession, Jesus basically says to him, are you really sure you want this? Because if you do, you're literally going to get crucified. They're going to crucify you. That's how you're going to die. You're, you're going to suffer just like me. And Peter's response, although it isn't in the text, I'm pretty sure from church history and from Acts that we can figure out what his response was. In Peter's heart, he said, I am. I am sure. Isn't, isn't it beautiful to see an I am not become an I am? Is there anything more beautiful in the world than seeing someone embrace suffering because they see Christ as worth it? I've seen, in my short life, I've seen a lot of beautiful things, but nothing beats the waters of baptism. Nothing beats repentance. Nothing beats an answered prayer or the Lord's Supper. Nothing beats long coffee conversations. Nothing beats being with, in, for, through, and by Christ. Of this I am convinced. I am. I think that Peter would agree with me. I think that his life was a testament to that. I truly believe that Peter ended up thinking that he would rather suffer as a Christ follower than suffer as a coward. You know, Peter's story, it doesn't end in John and, and it doesn't even stop in Acts. It continues until the year, roughly, 64 AD, which is 34 years later. 34 years of saying I am. While in Rome, Nero finds out about the ministry of Peter. And while it's speculation as to who ordered his execution or who hammered in the nails, imagine with me for a moment that it was Nero. Imagine Nero is the condemner no longer in the run-down courtyard of a high priest in Jerusalem in the Middle East, but in the royal courts of Rome. Under the leadership of Nero, the emperor, is Peter tried. However, the setting, the setting of this is really is quite irrelevant. What matters are the questions and the answers. Now, wouldn't it be funny if in the cold spring air there was a charcoal fire it was warming Peter during this trial. You're not one of that Galilean's disciples, are you? Asked the emperor. I am, said Peter. And he was comforted, not by the fire, but by the Holy Spirit. Then the hostile court pushed him and said, are you sure that you're one of his disciples? To which Peter responded, I am. And he was comforted by the Holy Spirit. 
Finally, Nero said, on the threat of crucifixion, are you one of Jesus' disciples? Then Peter replied and said, I swear to God, I am. And this last time, Peter's comfort from the Holy Spirit turned into pure rejoicing and gladness as he reflected on his future suffering. Perhaps it's in that moment, maybe, that Peter reflected on what he wrote to his friends in Asia Minor a few years earlier. Maybe it's just going through his mind. They're undergoing the same exact kind of persecution. They're being killed. They're just suffering, and it's miserable. So maybe, right here, Peter remembers what he said to his friends in 1 Peter 4.13. But however much you share in Christ's sufferings, rejoice. Rejoice so that you all will get to gladly rejoice at the revelation of his glory. Peter's joy was made complete that day. After the nails are driven in, after his legs are shattered, and after his corpse gets taken down, that's when he joins Christ as a sharer in his sufferings. No longer is Peter marked by bitter weeping, but he's marked by glad rejoicing. No longer was he seen as an I am not, but now he's seen as an I am. No longer is he one who weeps bitterly on the ground, but he's known as someone who rejoices right now with Christ in heaven. The human experience is stained in suffering. As unfortunate as it is, as sobering as it is, everyone will suffer in their lives. Everyone. Some of you have undergone great suffering already. Some of you haven't. You will. Some of you have suffered for your choices. Some of you have suffered from normal life circumstances. Some of you have even suffered as Christ followers. Regardless of why you're suffering, we can all agree that our lives are one long string of drawn-out suffering. It's inevitable that great suffering and misery will befall each one of us. It's inevitable. There are the I am's, and there are the I am not's. Both suffer. So the question that I leave you with is really, really simple. Do you want your inevitable suffering to lead to knowing your Messiah in glad rejoicing or to get to know your tile floors in bitter weeping? Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.